And okay, that sucked. So Dakota, just go on your rant. Um, I think we both saw it the same way. They screwed Maxi Hughes out of it. Before we get into all this stuff, just go on your rant, bro. I'm just like I'm always amazed when we have to do another one of these shows, like another one of these bad decision shows where we have to talk about like how this is such a chronic issue. It's one of the issues that holds the sport back, like all of the things that we've said countless times at this point. Right. Like and here we are again. You know what I mean? And it's just like it's you get oh, you almost get jaded as a fan where it's just like. There's only it, it. It just seems like there's no end to it at all, and there's no solution. There's no, there's no nothing going on to fix it. I mean, as far as like what happened in the fight, you know, Maxi Hughes doesn't hit very hard, but he basically just outpointed and outboxed Cambosis in the majority of the rounds for sure. None of those cards made any sense. If they had called that fight a draw, I think we'd still be pissed off about the decision, and. One of the judges had a 9-3 for Cambosis, so I don't even really know what to say about that. I don't understand why a fight between someone from the UK and someone from Australia was taking place in Oklahoma. That seems funny to me. I don't know what the appeal would be of that. Um, yeah, bro. I mean, it's pretty wild having to explain this to like to to fans over and over again. You know what I mean? So, my big question to you is: What Cambosis is obviously they're going to fight Lomachenko, Keyshawn Davis, Shakur. No disrespect to Cambosis, he's just not going to be able to hang at that level. He can't really handle a boxer. We've learned tonight, and if they have power, he's in a lot of trouble. He's not really a power guy. What is your projection of? Um, Cambosis's career from this point. He's going to find himself in another big one and he's not going to win that big one. And maybe after that, he'll get another mid-level win that on name value will propel him to, to one more big fight. So there may be one or two more big fights coming for Cambosis. But I also want to be very clear this is definitely not the first decision that he's been gifted. I mean, there was no way in hell that he beat Lee Selby. That that was barely a close fight, and it was that was one of the reasons that I didn't think he had a chance against Tio. Was it was just like I didn't think he beat Lee Selby. I thought he got outclassed by Lee and Selby. To be fair, I'm with you. I think Lee Selby beat him, but n not even really in a close fight. You know, I didn't think it was that close. I thought it was similar to this where it was an eight, four, nine, three kind of fight. And listen, we were talking about it during the fight. It's like I'm really worried. I'm really worried that they're not gonna give Hughes that the judges are not gonna see what he's doing because he just has no significant punching power. So nothing he lands is eye catching. But um I, that's exactly what happened. Well, and I, I think that the problem is, like, too, you see Hughes, he comes with a cowboy hat, he goes to Oklahoma, he seems like this really likable guy who's got all these, like, come-from-behind wins, and this felt like this was a big, big moment for him. And I basically settled that this was going to be a splitter-majority decision that went against him because I'm so used to boxing. I'm so yep. used to the wrong guy getting a decision. If you look at the body language, you saw one guy that clearly thought he won the fight and one guy that was unsure. Cambosis got this win, if we're being frank, 
because of the politics of boxing. Because he was an A-side fighter, he was recently signed. We're not saying the promoters necessarily did it. It could just be the perception. But there was everything worked in his favor. Everything worked in his favor. And because everything worked in his favor, you know, he gets the opportunity. And now, sadly, you get a guy like Maxie Hughes who should have a career-defining fight. He has to go and take another hard fight. Cambosis is going to step up. And he's going to be in a fight that probably isn't going to go his way. And it's probably going to be really rough. And, and what sucks about this is the wrong guy gets rewarded. Right. And then the fans get jaded and they don't want to watch because they don't want to see a big fight with one of these great fighters, Shakur or whatever with Cambosis, because they just saw him fight a guy who, who gave him a boxing lesson. It should be the guy that gave him a boxing lesson because that's a more compelling story. And the fans aren't stupid. And I don't think that Maxie Hughes beats any of those guys either, but I think he earned the shot to to get that opportunity. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, it's a real shame, man, because a guy like that who's got a couple losses on his record, like he goes to the back of the line again, and maybe it doesn't impact him as much because he does he has a handful of losses, but it it you know he he would have been in line to fight for a title after this, and now he's not. That's been taken from him, even though. He went out and did his job and earned it and absolutely won the majority of the rounds. I mean, dude, what do we do about that 9-3? Something's got to happen to I mean, like, did, did, that was that, did they even watch the fight, bro? And That's I mean, not crazy. to be disrespectful, but if we look on the undercard, I thought Eric Bonet probably beat Giovanni. If not, it was a draw. And then we had a guy that had a scorecard that was like 7-3. It's like no disrespect to Giovanni. What fight are you watching? That was Dude, a 6-4. All, all of the judges on that one had it 8-2-9-1. Yeah, they weren't even watching the fight, bro. No. No. And, and it, does, mean, it, it does kind of lead the question, and uh, you know, why is this card in Oklahoma? I don't know anything about this. I think the industry. reason why it's in Oklahoma is there's probably a site fee. So the casino goes, you know what, Top Rank, you're a great promotion. You're going to bring TV to our place. We do gambling. We'll pay you or we'll cover the event to be here because you're going to be like an attraction that brings us revenue. So a fight will end up in Oklahoma because then the promoter doesn't have to go out of pocket to put on that event. So that's how you find these events in Oklahoma is they're willing to put up the money for the fight. Right. I, I just, I, you have to wonder after the, the, the multiple bad cards we saw tonight, the, the quality of that commission, well, you know, that, you I was going to say that that's not corruption. That's how many fight guards go to Oklahoma a year. 10. We're getting right. more and you're not getting. So here's the tough thing. The Oklahoma commission is probably mostly getting world-class boxing cards. They're not getting the cards where the, the guys get the reps in the four rounders, the six rounders, discerning what how to get, become better. They're jumping in at the top of the sport, and they're in these real 55, 45, 30, 70. One judge clearly scored this fight based off of Cambosis coming forward. That was his criteria. Well, and, how not, he and, and not seeing anything that Hughes landed. Because not, you know, not having the the eye to understand. Okay, they're not they're not hard punches, but they're landing cleanly, so I have to score them. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's crazy, bro. This it's fight crazy. was a lot like Paulie Malignaggi and uh, Juan Diaz, the first one. It was very similar to that fight, 
where it was just like you could tell that the judges gave it to Diaz because he was coming forward and pushing the fight and Paulie doesn't hit hard. So when he's throwing off his little, you know, quick combinations, they're not they're not impressed by any one punch. But at the end of the day, that's not how you score a fight. And there was just tactically there wasn't any way. So now here's the thing, right? You look at all of the the big fights that Cambosis has been in. As far as I can tell, the only one he's won is the the Tiafimo fight because he didn't beat Lee Selby. He didn't beat Maxi Hughes. He lost every single round of Devin Haney twice. And he's going to get another big opportunity. And I just, you know, I'm I'm not hating on any fighter who's going to get to make their money or whatever, but it's he doesn't deserve it. And uh, Lukey hot take, not to be Mr. Cambosis hater, but there's people that think that Teofimo won that fight. Like, that wasn't like a landslide Cambosis won. There was a lot of adversity where George had to rally back late in that fight to win that fight. That was not, like, I think revisionist history is George dominated that fight because round one was amazing. George had to weather a storm and was dropped in that fight. That was like a fight of the year type fight. Yeah, and he had the the um I mean he he is a good counterpuncher, right? So the fact that Tiafimo just kind of walked straight to him and was very open to be hit played into everything that Kembosis does well. And as you can see, when he doesn't have somebody who's stepping to him and trying to make the fight, he doesn't really know what to do or how to create offense consistently. And he wasn't. That's that's why the nine rounds to three blows my mind so much. Is just like, what offense from Cambosis are you scoring that based off of? Because if you want to talk about not landing any punches, I mean, fuck, bro. It felt like he didn't land anything meaningful until like the tenth round. Well, and it that I think that like he came on in rounds nine, ten, eleven. I think the big thing is I see no urgency. I see no creativity in initiating offense. He wants you to come to him and he's very comfortable punching with you, but he does not really like using a jab and probing and being first. He's someone that wants you to come to him or he comes forward and he can jump back and they can exchange the guys that are moving away from him and are going to force him to force the fight. He doesn't really seem to have at a high level, a way to initiate those exchanges. No, no, he looks completely lost. And it's not the first time we've seen him, right? But the problem is for fighters like that, when you get gifted decisions, you're not forced to learn those lessons, right? Like he didn't learn whatever lessons were there to be learned from the Lee Selby fight. So he's still doing the same shit now, you know, whatever, three years later. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it is it is what it is. Uh, we're going to run through these because it's late where you're at and we're just doing this and we're buddies and we're boxing fans. Uh, Keyshawn Davis, co-main event, I expected more to be honest i get that he's young he's setting a very high standard for himself to me this kind of reminded me uh Keyshawn's reminding me a tiny bit of adrian broner not in ter- in terms of his personality or outside of the ring i don't know him like that but he's reminding me of broner that he's not throwing a ton of punches and he's going to rely upon his power and his distance and control and hand speed to really overwhelm opponents. And when they're overwhelmed, he's going to walk to them and do spectacular moments. You see moments of greatness with Keyshawn, especially when he did that Mayweather um, roll counter right hand. That was great. But 
this fight to me was a little cautionary because there was extreme moments of inactivity in this fight. Yeah, there was some inactivity. I think I, I didn't, I didn't think it was a, a, a cautionary performance. I think it's an experienced performance, right? Like he, he destroys Burgos, dominates every second of that fight, you know, stops Anthony Yigit. He's had some, spectacular performances then he gets in with this belgian guy who's a very slippery boxer who's tall and long who knows his range he knows where to throw what right he's a pretty smart fighter so i don't i don't see anything wrong with a, a guy in his ninth fight getting 10 quality rounds in and being in there with a guy who can play chess at that level um i definitely see what you're saying about the inactivity but i think that's also has to on some credit be a credit to patera who I think was pretty, you know, pretty motivated to win this fight and boxed a pretty smart fight. Um, I, I, I think it's, I think he's fighting high level competition for a guy where he's at. And I think that, um, look, we're roasting Andy Cruz and Andy Cruz turned pro against Burgos. We're given, uh, I'm giving Davis a little bit of crap and he's in a 10 round fight in less than 10 fights, I believe. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's not like we're roasting him. It's the standard we're setting for him might be unreasonable. But the the metric I watched this fight was he wants the fans to call for him to be in a world title shot after this performance. I did not leave this fight saying I want to see him in a world title shot. That was the no. that was the entrance that and maybe I'm wrong for listening to a young kid and hearing what he wants me to believe. But that was the standard I set this fight at. Yeah, and I, you know what? I, I think it's cool that he believes in himself like that. I didn't see a guy who I think is ready for that, but I I feel like he's he's well on his way. You know what I mean? I feel like he's still on the right track. And yeah, he he probably lost two or three rounds of that fight. I don't. Again, I don't think that's a bad thing, bro. I think that's lessons. Like if it's just everything's just easy for him, you know. He's and then when he gets to the top and it's challenging, he's not really gonna know what to do with that. Josh Cabrera says Keyshawn versus Cambosis next. Honestly, I wouldn't be mad at that because at least then Cambosis is not um, being rewarded with like a, a, a title of some sort. And he's taking on, you know, a young, strong, um, I think you could, would still call Keyshawn a prospect, but it would, if Keyshawn won that fight, move him into contender status. So I, I don't, I don't mind that fight. I don't mind it, but knowing the business of boxing, guys in Cambosis' position never gave guys like Keyshawn an opportunity. So that's going to be the old, you're not famous enough. And yeah. what annoys me is we're probably going to end up with a fight date where no one cares about the fight. So we're going to end up with a fight that means absolutely nothing to us. So it's like we're going to get a Vasil Lomachenko fight or a Shakur Stevenson fight against Cambosis, and we already know the outcome. Yeah. And that's what annoys me. Yeah, it is annoying. And another, another great point from Josh, you know, when it takes him a long time to read the scorecards, someone's getting screwed. That That's always a telltale, bro, because everyone's looking at it like, you sure? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Um, just running through this undercard, Gio, um, not our guy, not Josh's guy, Gio Cabrera. It's Gio Santillian um, fought. Eric Bonet, guy that I visited in camp. I thought this was a good fight. I, I'm biased, so I thought Bonet probably edged it. I think if I wasn't biased, I would have said it was a draw. Kind of 
hard to see what the judges were watching here because I thought this was like a really competitive, great fight that Bonet kind of took over in the second half. And the judges scored it as though it was like a very decisive one-way fight for Giovanni. Well, and Santian did come on strong in the last three, four rounds. He had a, a strong finish of the fight, but I think I, I threw the first. I think I had it four rounds to two at one point for Bonet. So the idea that the judges all had it, you know, two or one rounds for Bonet is just fucking insane. That that's not. Uh, indicative of what happened in the fight at all you know santian is a, a a good fighter that does a lot of things well but there's nothing there's no wow factor about it he's just in good fights against tough guys um but it does seem like at a certain point once you get to 31 and 0 and you know you're you're in your early 30s that it is time to kind of take that leap and and get a big fight i'm not I'm just not sure what that is for him well, i know look, that he indicated i want to say this to josh taylor if you're 31 and 0 and you're not getting a big fight and you're in your 30s, what's what do I always say? Step your game up. Right. Because you got the record to really be in the mix. And if you're not getting that opportunity, you know, that's a that's a step your game up moment. And by step your game up, you mean in the fight, right? Like you gotta if you're the if you're at that point, you gotta dominate somebody like Eric Bonet. And he definitely didn't do that. He was in a a 60-40 fight with him. And and even if you wanted to give it to him, there's just the, there's no way those scorecards are accurate at all. Well, and let they were talking about, and I'm stealing your thunder. They were talking about him possibly fighting a Josh Taylor. It's all cool, good and well, but you got to roll into those type of fights with momentum. You're yeah. coming off like a 50, 50 fight and you're fighting a former undisputed world champion. I mean, where's the excitement level to the right, casual right, fan? It's a 50-50 fight with a fringe contender. No disrespect to Bonet, who is very skilled, but he's not, you know, a top 15 welterweight at the moment. He just isn't. He's maybe a top 25 welterweight. Santian is trying to stand out from the crowd, right? And, like, you know, he just had a, a, a close competitive fight with somebody who had a very competitive fight with Sean Porter almost 10 years ago. So it's just it's not he the the fights he's having he's showing that he's a very good fighter with a lot of skills but he's just not he's not creating that demand. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a tough spot because it's pretty clear Top Rank doesn't know what to do with him. They're giving him opportunities and it just seems like they don't know what to do. I I think I think he's a good enough fighter like I would love to see him in with Stan Jonas. I think that would be a great fight. I think they both need it, right? Like Stan Yotis needs a, a dance partner in light of what's happened with Virgil. You know, I, with that record, and and he does have some some halfway decent names on his resume. Like, I, I would I would watch him in Boots. I think I know how that fight goes, but I would watch it. You know what I mean? Like, I just think it's time to put him in the mix and let him kind of show show his level. I mean, I think he I, I do I think he would beat Blair Cubs. Now we got to go over to kind of like the the R lead, which is uh, Stefan Shaw uh, fought one of the weirdest fights I've ever seen a man fight. Um, I think that the reason he fought this fight the way he did, he went from being the main event in January to being the first fight on this card in Oklahoma. And if that doesn't inspire you to step your game up, I don't know what does. I think that 
he felt that he needed to perform more in a more entertaining fashion and, and please people. But in the process, I think he got away from what he's best at, which is defense. He was way out of character in this one. I was even trying to process it because anytime I've seen him and I saw him live and I feel like when you see, uh, and I, I was up close, you know, so I feel like when you see a guy live, you really see because you can hear the power. You can, you know what I mean? There's certain nuances you're not catching on TV. And I was really wowed by him. You know what I mean? Like everything was sharp. Everything was precise. Everything was on point. That guy wasn't there, man. He went in there trying to to prove a point that he maybe didn't need to prove. Like, I know he lost that last fight, but I think the lesson there is like, I need to be the same fighter and be more active. I mean, if I'm going to box on the back foot, there's got to be 35, 40 jabs around. I got to be busy with the right. Like, I can't just make a guy miss six times. I have to counter punch. You know, when when there's opportunities and he just, you know, he just changed everything about himself. And it seemed like at a certain point he was just cool with taking punches. And I just I, I had no idea that 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 was a possibility with the guy that I saw, you know, whatever, a year or two ago. To me, it was really sad to watch this fight because I, I see a lot of potential with Shaw. And I see someone that really wants it, but I saw, I wouldn't say his dream shattered, but his dream crushed for the moment. And I feel like he felt that he made the right changes. And in hindsight, I think he'll look back and saw that he made the wrong changes. But there were just so many unanswered questions for me. Getting hit to the body early on and then looking as though those punches or even the conditioning had wore on him in this fight. Um, he didn't look comfortable on the inside at all. So if the the game plan was to fight on the inside, he didn't look comfortable or prepared to do that. I mean, we're talking about someone in January we really believed could have a Terrence Crawford breakout year as an undercard fighter that could emerge as a main event yep. fighter. And now we don't even know if he's still with top rank. Dude, when I, was, when, I, when I saw him against Rydell Booker and how sharp he was in that fight, I, I thought that he could have at a minimum been a really good challenge for Anderson, for Jared Anderson. Like, and that wasn't that wasn't that long ago, bro. That was you know, within the year. And it's sad to see this stuff because it's like we don't know if he's ever gonna come back. I want him to come back. I want him to have a good performance. But he's never going to have an opportunity like he just had. He's going to have to rally against the machine and the system. He's coming in on the, yep. the A, B, C, D side now. He's not probably going to get a full camp unless it's a guy. But, I mean, we're looking at Jolly Off. Oop, that scared me. Uh, we're looking at, like, a guy like Jolly Off. We're looking at maybe a Richard Torres down the line. I don't think that the Jared Anderson fights are readily available right at this moment. I think that – no. He's going to be, if he gets brought back on a top rank card, on an undercard, he's going to be brought back in the capacity of fighting a fringe contender prospect. Yeah, and I think the only way that he could write that ship is to beat one of those guys. And I, I think that he has the talent to do it. You know, there's also the school of thought where you just kind of go on a winning streak against lesser opposition. You build back your confidence. You know, fuck, if he goes and he wins eight fights in a row and a year and a half it, he may it, he may put himself right back in position but it takes it's it, you have to really want it 
to do it that way. You know what I mean? And when, when, when I did the interview with him with Felix and Ray, it was like, he, he wanted to be in a big fight. That's where he saw himself. He saw himself as one of the guys. He didn't think anybody was as talented as him. And when I saw him, I thought he might have a point. You know what I'm saying? There's not too many guys at heavyweight that are this coordinated and this sharp. So, I, I think my one concern is I saw a little bit of what Tim Bradley was talking about when we had the private call and we talked about this. There's a little bit of a sparring partner mentality I've seen with him where he's a little comfortable not throwing punches at times. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like that comes from sparring. You can get away with things in sparring. And I think that like part of with him, it's like, I think he's probably one of the world's best gym fighters and he's probably won every gym battle. But then how does he translate that into a pro fight? I feel like it's almost like how well he's doing in the gym is now adding pressure on him on fight night because he's now starting to wonder why am I not having these performances against FA and now against this guy? Why is it every other fight I had the good performances, but now it's not quite translating. And I, I, well, I think and the FA fight would have been a, recover this would have been a recoverable moment you know had he come out and dominated this guy i think eventually it does kind of go away but this is devastating to his career bro to get stopped by this guy that nobody is really familiar with and by the way it was a good opponent it was this was not a like he got you know knocked out randomly by a bum this was a good fighter that was that was attacking his body that had some good hand speed that was in training camp yeah, and he was in shape. He was ready to go, and you could tell he wanted it. So, but again, we're talking about a guy who, when I talked to him, he, you know, he was he wanted Deontay Wilder, he wanted Anthony Joshua, he wanted the big names in the division. Real quick, uh, did Troy Isley or Jeremiah Milton stand out to you? Do you have any thoughts? Um, I thought Troy looked good. I am starting to get concerned a little bit about the lack of punching power. Um, you know, I felt like he hit this guy really clean a bunch and he never really put a dent in him. But Todd is also one of these rugged veteran, you know, top tier jobber kind of guys where, you know, he scores a little upset here and there and he's always fighting it as the B side. I was there when he fought Anthony Sims and he gave Sims a hell of a fight, probably won some rounds. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's a tough, tricky guy too. So that's his job, right? Is to, is to be a tough, tricky guy, and and he did his job as well. So I think it's a good performance for Troy. Milton is a lot like Shaw, where I see the pieces. I really like everything that he brings to the table. I like the, the jab and the athleticism and the coordination, but there's a hesitation with letting his hands go. Like, you're in there with a guy that's 5'11", 300 pounds. You know, I want to see you really look special. And it, t- it you could tell it took him a while to to get going. So I'll give my thoughts. You know, I'm very high on Troy Isley. To me, with Troy, I want to see a little development into the next level. So I want to see over this next year of fights, I want to see him transition into fringe contender status. So it's like this performance, Antonio Todd, In the amateurs, he had a rivalry with Joseph Hicks. Joe Hicks beat him at the Olympic trials. Todd just went to a decision with Hicks. Now Troy's fighting a mutual opponent. Maybe you can see down the road. They're comparing how they're where the guys are at. 
but I mean, I would like to see this is a very vacant division. Troy is a guy who has a big personality. And I think that he's someone that could get a lot going for himself if he gets it. We still haven't quite seen lately that that monstrous announcing to the world, I'm here moment. And I'm waiting for that from Troy because I believe Troy has that. With Jeremiah, I think he only had 29 amateur fights. So I think a lot of what you're speaking to is you have a guy who's learning on the job who I I see a little bit of Berlanga in him where I've, I've known Ber, uh, Jeremiah since 2019, but one thing I've always seen in Jeremiah is some, and Bradley spoke to this on the telecast and I have a pen in my hand. So I'm a real broadcaster. I got a pen in my hand. <laughs> um, the big thing I see with Jeremiah is things don't always come intuitively to him. You can tell he picked up boxing late. You can tell that it, it's a, he, he's treating it as a profession and occupation, but it's not instinctual, as you just said. And I think that that's what you're getting at, is he's fighting this awkward guy named, what was he named, Lumpy Lump or Lump Lump? Lump Lump. Lump Lump. So he's fighting this fat guy, and he hits hard, and the, guy, the guy's basically letting you know, I'm not going to do much other than throw some overhand rights and some left hooks. And if you walk into one, you're going to get knocked out. And I think... We're used to seeing fighters who have had a deeper amateur career and more pedigree. I think Jeremiah is learning on the job, and when he fights these type of guys, I, don't, I think he's going to have trouble looking spectacular because he doesn't have that deep range of experience. But I think that with his ability to talk, charismatic, and that he's such a hard worker, I think he can get himself in a point to fight a lot of these names of this era. Hey, I, you know, I actually would have thought that he had some experience just based on how he threw his punches and his coordination. So I think that, you know, that speaks to how he's developing. But I, I, I think to, for him to take that level up, it's got to become a little more instinctual. Randomly, this just popped into my head. I, I think a fight I would love to see is Troy Isley and Connor Coyle. That's a really good fight between two unbeaten middleweights. If we're talking about two guys that want to step up to contender status, that's a hell of a fight. I mean, Connor Coyle, Joe Sean James. There's a lot of these undefeated middleweights in the United States. Javier's tried to step up with Joe Sean, got a draw. I mean, I think we're getting to that point with Troy where it's like, let's see that step up tester. I mean, maybe it's against Javier maybe that's a great one, fight you know what i mean like they had an amateur rivalry but i definitely think we're nearing that point um really a slow weekend in boxing uh your boy lee mcgregor lost he got an upset loss jazza dickinson got knocked out in dubai i know that hurts your heart and soul both of those things yeah got him um before we get into the big one uh let's go over some news uh the news of devin haney for you did you hear about the news on the broadcast what are your thoughts i i think i heard the news right he's planning to give up his belts is that correct so he's basically what mark kriegel said was he talked to bill haney the father of devon and he's basically gonna vacate potentially and fight regis progray it's a great fight that's like one of the best fights in boxing Okay, you're you're killing me, Dakota. I'm trying to do the timestamp thing, and you're just hitting me with like three. Oh, I didn't, know you, I, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. I didn't know you're over there multitasking. Bro. I was over there multitasking, bro. So, 
Um, why is it a great fight? Is this exciting? Um, and it also, I guess, to add to it, it looks like Lomachenko and Shakur is going to be for the WBC and the WBO unified vacant titles. They're going to unify those titles in a fight. It looks like Cambosis is going to fight an Argentinian guy we've never heard of. If you're a better, you might want to bet on the Argentinian guy. Like there might be some value in that. I don't know how good he is. And um, the WBA has William Zapata and Frank Martin ranked number one, but Tank Davis is a secondary champion. I would believe they would just elevate Tank to full champion, right? If you have a secondary champion, why yeah. wouldn't you just elevate what's the guy the that having it? Yeah, what's the point? So I'd imagine Tank just becomes the de facto. And then Zapata or Frank Martin in a perfect world would fight him or you'd make Frank Martin have to fight another eliminator fight, which also wouldn't really make sense. But can you give your thoughts on Haney and kind of this whole situation and how it plays out? Well, I think I'm like disappointed that Lomachenko is not going to get that rematch. Um, you know, the consensus is that he won a close fight. And to me, that's it, that's unfinished business for Haney in my mind. But at the same time, there's only so long you can ask this kid to make lightweight. I mean, I feel like it's been his last six fights. They've been saying he's moving up to 140 next. So, uh, you know, if I, I think it's probably time to make that move. We're, we've been waiting for Regis to be in a meaningful fight since the Zapata fight. We're not getting the matchups that we want to see from Regis as fans. As not even in, in like a in a hater way, in like a, I like watching Regis fight. I want to see Regis against the best of the best, and I think this sort of supplies that. And I think that Devin will be uh, a stronger, more explosive fighter at 140 pounds, which makes that matchup I think very very exciting. Yeah, I mean, I I think we're both really high on Regis, and we want to see him in great fights. And Devin's pursuing great fights, so that's exciting. And I think also. The idea of Shakur and Lomachenko fighting in the fall in a lightweight world title fight. I think that's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, exciting times. Exciting. Um, our guy, Arnold Barbosa, friend of the program, he left top rank. Do you have any initial thoughts? I, I think it's, uh, you know, Arnold's got to gotta do what he can do to get the best opportunities because it just feels like he's always doing what is asked of him. And then like like Giovanni Santian or some of these other guys it's just lateral moves so I think that's the that's the time where you do have to kind of switch it up because I, you know how many more lateral moves can a guy like Arnold Barbosa make I mean I just think that the trust has been lost for from team Barbosa you know how how can you trust that you're ever going to get a title shot when now you're the number one contender for the WBO Teofimo comes back and then it, you feel like you're going to not get this opportunity to fight Teofimo. I think that he just wants a new, a new start. You know, he wants to go somewhere and be basically a big dog sign with maybe a match room or a golden boy promotions and be more a centerpiece of their programming. Yeah, he definitely, um, you know, I know top rank, he, he had a lot of good fights with them. The Pedraza fight was a, a really good fight, and it was a really close fight, which maybe is part of the, the problem that he's having, much like uh, Santillan is having, where he's having close fights with really good fighters, and he's not necessarily doing anything that's wowing people. But we, it, but as 
educated fans, we know that the kinds of fights he's winning are high quality fights. So we're expecting to see him in a in a bigger fight. And that bigger fight just hasn't come with top rank. So he he's he's got to do what he's got to do because these careers don't last forever. Yeah, I mean, more power to him. Final thing, uh, the circus is coming to town. Uh, Fury and Ganu, what are your initial thoughts on that? You know what I think, bro. I don't give a shit about that fight. I'm going to be real, man. I think that it's um, it's it, it's it's I, I'll be, I'm just going to keep it real, bro. It's disrespectful to the fans. It's disrespectful to the sport. Um, disrespectful to Usyk. It's disrespectful to Usyk. It's disrespectful to, you know, Fury's obligations as a champion. And I just don't like he clearly doesn't give a shit what the fans think or what they want or um, and I I've been feeling this way about him for a while. And I think he's a tremendous talent. I think he's one of the most charismatic, exciting people in boxing. But I don't understand what exactly he's doing with his career since the Wilder fights. I, I just don't understand. I don't understand the goal or the trajectory or what he's interested in as a champion. Think chilling, chilling, chilling. And maybe that's what it is, right? So that's why he takes the Dillian White fight and the Chisora fight. And now, uh, who, what's the guy's name? Francis Ngannou. I've never watched him fight, but this is just preying on poor, innocent MMA fans who have watched why this guy knock. They fall for that shit so hard. Because, look, these MMA fights are really exciting. Their fans are very loyal. As my man, Pauly Malignaggi, said, the UFC fans, if they did a UFC spelling bee, their fans would pay for a UFC spelling bee. Um, Like, their fans are very loyal to the UFC product, and they've seen this guy knock out big buff guys who are strong and intimidating and world-class athletes. And I think because they've seen it, they go, what happens if he lands on Tyson Fury? What if he lands it? He's a big puncher. And the problem is he's just not good at boxing. He might you never good- see boxing fans going like, man, I think Tyson Fury could very well win a kicking match with this MMA fighter. Like it never goes the other way. It's always them being the suckers. Well, it's like, like when James Tony fought randy couture you didn't see many boxing people being like oh man i wonder how this is gonna go yeah what 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 happens when james catches him like no they're gonna roll around on the fucking floor and he's gonna look like a fish that jumped out of the bowl yeah it's it's i feel like it's just preying upon a certain group of mma fans i'm sorry to all those mma fans that's some sucker shit i'm just gonna tell you Okay, there we go. That's why our program is this. Let's break down Spence and Crawford. It's the fight we wanted to see. Actually, you know what? Before we go into that, let's go Fulton in a way. Um, we got a great uh, headline about... Can, do you want to talk about a hand wrap gate? Yeah, bro. Why not? Fill, every, fill everyone in on um, this latest development. Well, I don't know all the details, but from what I've seen there, the the trainer of Stephen Fulton, Zaire Rahim, former uh, champion in his own right, has said that uh, I guess that in a way stacks his hand wraps like he puts tape on the bottom or how, however exactly that works and it hardens. And that's obviously not a legal way to wrap his hands. I don't know of any evidence of that, but he seems to be pretty convinced of it. Um, I think it's a it's a weird, weird time to say that. 
I think it's a pretty easy solution. You just have someone from your team in there while they're doing it. Um, and also, like, this should be in the fight contract. Like, this is literally, yeah. like, what's in the negotiation. I think it's pretty bad when Stitch Duran, Mike Basil, and Robert Garcia all say this isn't a very big deal. Like, Stitch Duran has a video on Fight Hype where he basically said that he did, he stacked the raps to the Na Nevada commissioner and they couldn't really feel a difference because it's the same amount of fabric. Right. Like, it doesn't really impact. It's more of a, um, like, a feel thing. And it just depends on what the commissions allow. Like, it's just a, a decision commission by commission. It's a very strange thing to bring up in the 11th hour when the internet is so conspiratorial and looking for, like, uh, conspiracies and, and things to get into to to pit people. It, it definitely feels like there's... Everyone's dying to be like, is he a real champion? But yeah, it's like the, we got this guy. He's a three-division world champion. He's undisputed at bantamweight. He's moving up and fighting the best guy. Yet still, we're going to discredit this guy, even though Stephen Fulton's the bigger guy and he very well could beat him. Let's create a lot of... And I get it because it's like there's a level of if there is something to it and in a way doesn't punch, if you take away in a way's power that's a big thing because in a way's yeah. power, he does not have a lot of punch output. The power is the big thing. It's the power and the timing. If you take that away, it's, it's a different story. That being said, it just, it kind of came off real strange that this was brought up like at a press conference. Right. That would be something that I would think that you would want to settle, but I think it's being, I think that was used as a promotional tactic. I think yep. that's ultimately what it was, was it's like we have this beloved champion. We're in his country. If we say something abrasive that kind of dirties his name, maybe maybe that makes the fight more exciting. Yeah, I, I, it just was strange. Um, it also was strange to see Stephen Fulton's reaction because it looked like he had no clue that his coach was going to say, I'll pull my fighter out of the fight. Like Stephen Fulton literally had this look on his face, like Coach, what are you saying? Like yeah, I'm like, ready. No, you fucking won't. <laughs> yeah, like, like that was like kind of like the funniest thing. But um, I, I did really one video of him. Someone had uh, it might have even been one of the Smith boys posted a video of him of Inoue getting his hands wrapped, and so, and they and they and he, whoever posted it, he was pissed about it. He was like, "Look, he's doing this, and you can't do that." And da 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 da. Why is the guy standing there and he doesn't care? And then I, I and I don't, you know, as much as I've been around the sport, I don't know the intricacies of top level boxing hand wrapping. And I think the reason that guy was standing there not saying anything was maybe it's somewhat common practice. I don't know. Well, I mean, look, there's a simple solution. Make sure you have someone in the locker room. And also when I when we're deferring to experts, right? Mike Basil, Stitch Duran, Robert Garcia wraps hands. When all, when Robert Garcia says he does this same technique when it's allowed by the commission, I mean, he so he's admitting guilt. Right. Like it's sounding like this is just a method that some people use, and it sounds like it's a method some power punchers use, and it's just a form of a technique. I just feel like once you've signed a contract, everything else is arbitrary. It's time to fight. Do you think it's just like a preemptive cop out? 
I don't, I don't know, but it's getting weird this fight week with Fulton in a way because it's a very exciting fight, and we've had weird things about Inouye's drug history, like some drug test which no one's ever heard of, and that was weird coming out on the internet. And now we got this cast. Like, there's just like a weird negative tint to Inouye, and I'm not saying the guy's an angel or anything. But both of these fighters deserve a lot of credit for stepping up and fighting each other. And it's like this fight week is kind of turning a little toxic. Yeah, I, I and maybe that's just, you know, in Japan, they don't really do any of that. They don't really shit talk. It's a it's more of a respectful fight atmosphere. You know what I mean? And maybe maybe these guys felt like, hey, these guys are not selling this fight. So we need to we need to get it a little spicy. I don't know, but let's let's stop talking about the Mickey Mouse stuff and let's get into the boxing stuff. Um, I know I'm. Let's see. Looks like some people are leaving. What's the topic, uh, my guy Tony Ayo? What's the topic? Um, we Tony Ayo. We started with the Cambosis bad decision. We're get we got timestamps coming in the comments, so when it's over, you can go back. We're talking about Fulton in a way, and then we're jumping into Spence Crawford. We're going to conclude with the top rank show. We're going to be on for a little bit more, but not too much longer. Tony, we love that you come on and judge judge G unit. You know, that's for my guy Tony Ayo, and just for Tony Ayo. Um, Fulton in a way, I I could be sitting on Lukey Island on this one. I feel like it's all time great versus great. I think in a way is one of these really really special guys. That being said, if Fulton's the bigger guy and he does the bigger guy stuff and wins, wouldn't shock me. But like in a way's career, and I swear, Dakota, I'm going to let you talk. I swear I'm going to let you talk. But in a way's career has been so magical and like a video game character. I'm done doubting him. Like he's knocking out world champions with tons of accolades and treating them like they're nobodies. So it's hard for me to go against him. And I'm I'm honestly, because I knew some of these fighters, like Jamie McDonald's a very good fighter. He treated him like a nobody. It's hard for me to, to fully believe Fulton has a chance just based on that pedigree. I, I don't know that I think Fulton has a chance either. I just think Fulton has a chance to be competitive, which we haven't seen in a way in a lot of competitive fights, right? We've really only seen him in one. I think this could be one of those. Even if he gets a knockout, I think that Fulton being naturally bigger and being as smart of a boxer as he is, I think that he's going to win a couple of rounds and have a couple of moments in this one. Um, but I think that ultimately, like you said, we're looking at an all-time great here. And um, I think this is going to be the one that, you know, if he's not already, for you know, for me, I have him a little lower in my pound for pound list just on the who's on the, the resume. But if he wins a fight like this, you, you have a genuine argument to have him as number one and, and if not for sure in the top five. Yeah, I mean, for me, he's number two on my list. Usyk's my number one guy because he just wins every fight on the road and he's actively seeking to make the best fights possible. Uh, Tony Yeo, what time? I believe on the West Coast it's 5 a.m. I heard East That's Coast 5 a.m. That is the main event. I, I yeah, know there's yeah. going to be an undercard that plays before that, but the main event is estimated to start at eight Eastern. And let's just speak on that really quickly. Outside of Robisi, you have to be the most beloved fight fan ever to watch this undercard. 
I'm about as diehard as fight fan as there is. I'm not watching anything on this undercard. I might catch a I'll little Rabisi. I'm Rabisi's our guy, but it's probably I don't know this opponent. And I'm guessing Robisi's going to do that predatory thing where he knocks him out and gets him gone. So th- I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I might watch this in like a meme. I might watch this in a in Twitter video. It might not be the full consumption of the Robisi. Glad that he's getting the opportunity, but to me, this is uh, the Lupe Fiasco superstar moment for in a way. If you are what they say you are, here is a guy that's saying that he's willing to stand up to you. Can you look this exceptional with Fulton? I I just, the more there's like stuff around Fulton and this hand wrap stuff that creates even more confidence that I think in a way is going to pull away with it. I agree with that too. And I think I can't imagine that Fulton thinks that's a good look because any interview I've ever seen with him, he seems like he's got his head on straight and he seems like a genuine competitor. I just don't see that as something that he'd be real focused on. Yeah, it's just, it's strange. I think that it's not, I think that to me, the big difference here is um, Fulton's at times shown a weakness to the body. And I think that the body shots in the Figueroa fight were concerning to me. It's hard for me to believe that if Inouye hits him to the body repeatedly. So that's, but that's also, I think, a, a, a good point to make, right? Is that ultimately Figueroa moved up to featherweight. So Fulton has fought much bigger guys. Like Daniel Roman's a bigger guy than Inouye. He's fought bigger guys. So I, I just have a feeling that Inouye's power will affect Fulton, but it won't affect him the same way it's affected fighters at lower weights. And my feeling is. In a way's team has a confidence that they think it will because they wouldn't have just jumped into this fight if they had some questions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think they're going to, they're ultimately going to wind up being right, but I do think it'll be a, a tough fight. Is Brandon Figueroa way better than we think? Because like Brandon Figueroa could somehow come out of this fight as the biggest winner. Right. I mean, shit. In, in, in theory, Right, if if Fulton were to beat Inouye, it would very much raise Brandon Figueroa's standing, and I think that combined with beating Luis Neri and beating Carlos Castro, those are two really quality wins. Those are three world class wins. I think he, I think he is underrated. And our guy Tony Yeo uh, said he doesn't want to hear any conspiracy theories um, after this fight. I don't think Fulton's going to put out conspiracy theories. I really don't because I think he's a real competitor. And honestly, he's handled the motions of this camp very professionally. I'm just worried about what the internet community might, how they might respond to this fight because it's kind of getting strange. I just don't like the idea of putting down either Inouye or Fulton. They're both two world-class competitors. I don't like the idea of laying down a foundation for an excuse either. Yeah, it's it's and I don't like it because you can also just talk to the commission like after the press conference and be like, we have concerns about this. Yeah, my first thought is tell that to somebody that can do something about it. Yeah, because it's like, what are the press going to do? Write it down and have a suggestion box. (laughs) Yeah, you what what the fuck am I going to do? Leave a Yelp review. I can't help you. Like what? I guess that's like my issue with it was it was so not practical. No, like, like you, 
I feel like this type of stuff happens all the time, but you don't do it at a press conference. You go, hey, man, I don't like the gloves he's wearing. Let's change them. Right. I, dude, yeah, it's a weird one. And I, to me, I can't help but think that that impacts some of like how that training camp went. And I got to be honest, too. I think that's a, the Internet plays a big part of that right is it's like all he has to do is plant that seed and there's going to be people that are off and running but i just and, and maybe that's part of promoting a fight in the modern day but it, it also just feels like sometimes the internet makes people really stupid and gullible yeah i agree i agree with that um let's go over to spence crawford what are your initial thoughts on this tremendous fight <sighs> My initial thoughts are I'm I'm very excited for it. It's been a long time coming. It's at least five years in the making. Um, at least as you know how long we've all wanted it as fans. I do think it still has a lot of significance. I don't know that it has the same significance that it would have in 2021 or 2019. Um, but I think it still is ultimately a decider of who is the best welterweight of the post Mayweather era. And also potentially a, pound, well, a fight with pound-for-pound pound implications. The winner of this fight, depending on how it goes, could very easily be the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter currently. I want to push back and defend my guy Usyk, man. Because everyone wants to kick my guy Usyk to the curb. I, listen, I mean, I got him in my top five. So I'm not kicking anybody anywhere. But when you got, you know, two guys at this level... Uh, fighting each other, you know, the the winner of the fight automatically. My guy Usyk's trying to get Fury in there with him. He's got an unwilling uh, accomplice. He he absolutely does, and I, that's part of why it, he, Fury pisses me off. And if Usyk were to beat Fury, you'd have an argument for him to be the number one guy, too. Or the best guy possibly ever in the heavyweight division. Super hot take. That's a fact, bro. If he won that fight, that's a fact. But... We're talking about Spence and Crawford. It is the fight we've wanted for many, many years. And we're finally going to get it. And I think that they're getting it right before it wouldn't be relevant. I think if they had waited another year, it would be hard for people to still care just because they've gotten older. We haven't seen them on TV that much in the last couple of years. Um, but I'm very excited for it. I'm, I realized recently that I'm going to be working during it, so that's probably one of the most disappointing things to happen to me as a boxing fan in a while, but I'll make sure that I, I fucking see it the moment I get home. What do you think of Spence calling uh, Bomac Big Cheeto Man? I thought that was pretty funny. I think they've had some pretty funny banter that's not like so crazy that i feel like they're gonna shove each other but they just have like a good little roast battle with each other anytime they're on stage together and i like i like it like i want them to have like a podcast or something i feel like errol spence has come out of this as like a really good interview like yeah. every every press conference errol spence has just pretty much won it like oh man we smoke it all bud we from jamaica I man love it, bro i love it but do you feel like to me, it's like I never really thought of Errol Spence as like this really amazing interview. And then like leaving these press conferences, I feel like Terrence has been extremely sincere and really like he's like, I'm focused. I want to win. I want to get this legacy defining fight. And it's like, Errol, you're kind of seeing the charismatic side to him. 
I think he's excited. I think they're both excited. Like, I think they are both genuinely excited, and I think they've both wanted the fight for as long as we've wanted it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot. So, Dakota, have you read anything into the media workouts? I'll tell you one thing. To me, Terrence Crawford's media workout this week reminded me of Andre Ward before Sergey Kovalev. I have not seen a fighter that focused since Ward for a media workout. Um, Wearing a white T-shirt, of all things, doesn't even wear the Terrence Bud Crawford shirt. He just shows up in a Hanes white tee. And it was like there was a level of intensity to that workout that was like that was like a statement workout. And there was some ultimate big dog energy. Uh, Spence had a similar workout, but I didn't see the same focus. It was more so like aggression and physicality. It was kind of like a like a knife wielder. What are, what are those guys that fence? It's like a fencer like sharpening his blade was how I'd describe. Whereas uh, Crawford, it was like, I felt like it was one of the more intimidating. It was up there to me with Nicholas Walters hitting mitts for before no need Donaire. Uh, do you have any observations for our great listeners on this, um, this stuff? Well, I think that Terrence is probably super locked in for this one. I, th- I think that the, the Avenesian fight, like we've talked about, was not a great performance for him. And he took way more punches in that fight than I, thought he needed to or would. Um, But I also don't think he looked particularly engaged in that fight because he didn't feel threatened. I would imagine that we're going to get the best version of him possible. And I think we'll get the the best version of both guys. I don't think I I would be hard for me to imagine that either of these guys would just like not show up for this. Yeah. I mean, this career defining fight. um, What is your gut telling you who wins this? My gut is telling me at the moment that Errol is going to win a close decision just off being a little bit bigger and stronger and more physical and that Terrence is going to win some rounds late because he always kind of figures it out. Um, and, and, and maybe, maybe even uh, enough for a draw. I just, my, my instinct is telling me that Errol has a little bit of an edge in this one. Is it going to be a Cambosis decision or a fair decision? Who the fuck knows? It feels to me like this is two big dogs and there isn't really an A side or a B side, right? The A side, B side is for fights we don't want to see, right? At the end of the day, the fights we want to see, there's no A side and no B side. It's 50-50 fights. So Say that again. Say that again, Dakota. That's a fact, right? The fights we want to see, there's no A side, no B side. I don't think there's an A side or a B side here. I think this is a genuine 50-50 fight. Um, I, I'm not sure who would have a political advantage if there was one. So I'm going to hope that we get as fair a decision as possible. I mean, Spence gets the a tie goes to the runner. He's the guy that's been fighting with PVC his whole career. I would assume. And I think that's a fair point. I just, you know, I, I don't see how it would be like a negative outcome for Terrence to get that win either. If he won it clean, you know what I mean? Yeah, I just I'm just hoping for a great fight. Like I'm hoping there's no head clash. I'm hoping there's no, no. one sided win and then we go to the Ankle cards. Roll. 
or like we get a 120, 108, like it's 115, 113, 114, 114, 120, 108, and you're like, yeah. huh? Yeah. And, then, and then you get the winner, and then I'm looking for what I want from this is a definitive outcome. Yeah, we want to settle it. We want to settle some shit. We want to know who the best welterweight after Mayweather is. That's and what that is. I think we honestly don't want a rematch. We want something that kind of makes a point in this fight. And if a rematch happens, well, then a rematch happens. Hey, I, I'm not mad at a rematch if it's a classic. If these guys want to have a little rivalry to round out Terrence's career, I'm all for it. I mean, that's fine, too. I am excited. Um, stylistically, I think it's interesting because they're kind of tailor-made. They do what the other one doesn't do well. It's like Errol's the guy that can totally clip you in an exchange with his little step back. That being said, um, Errol does not like guys that move. He's not the biggest fan of the movers and the guys that can kind of present a lot of angles. I don't really remember him fighting a mover. I think a Sean Porter is a mover, even though it's like a Man. hybrid mover. That was like a weird. You don't think that that's a mover? What would you classify Sean Porter as? A smotherer. Well, I think a, a smotherer and a mover because Mikey was a mover. Yeah, I guess. I, I I think in a more classical sense, I don't remember ever seeing him in a mover, in with a mover. He's never been in with an Aris Landy Lara. He's never, you know what I mean? Like, and Terrence, when he wants to, can do that better than anybody. Do you think that that's strategic or that's just the way the cards fell? Uh, I think that's just the way the cards fell. I mean, outside of Floyd, I don't think that era of welterweights really had one of those guys like Keith is a good outside fighter, but that's just like a piece of what he does. Um, though I do think Keith's movement would, would, would give Errol problems. Um, yeah. There, I don't think there were a lot of guys that had that skill set anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just what it is. That's going to be a great fight. If you're a fight fan, you got to tune into this fight. It's just awesome. Uh, co-main event is our guy, Gio Cabrera. He's taking on Isaac Pitbull Cruz. I've been telling people I think Gio's gonna win. What do you think, Dakota? I I, I lean towards Pitbull in this one. I think just off of the fact that Cabrera is like really straight up in the air when he throws his shots, as much as he's effective, that chin is right up there. And I think Cruz will find something that lands. But that's a fucking that's a main event fight right there. Mm. And no disrespect to anybody, right? Because people have their opinions and whatever. But I think it kind of shows who's watching these boxing undercards when a lot of people are telling me, oh, this isn't a good fight. It's like, no, you just don't understand this nah, fight. That's Giovanni a is a, fight. Giovanni's a mover. Giovanni's a mover and a shaker in the ring. And Pitbull is a brawler. So you got a mover versus a brawler. Can Geo take the power? Can Pitbull find him? It's one of the most fun stylistic matchups. Oh, and by the way, Geo's undefeated. Pitbull's got all this hype. If Geo wins, he's got Freddie Roach in his corner. He gets big fights. This is can you change your life, Geo? This is Pitbull. Do you want to get a big fight? The, it's high stakes. The winner of that fight is very, very much in the mix at 135 with all of these big names. And and 
puts themselves in, in line to legitimately have earned one of those fights. How do you think Pitbull does with a southpaw? I, I'm not sure. I feel like Cabrera switches a lot, no? He does, but I feel like he'll be a southpaw a lot. Uh, maybe Josh can tell us the game. Hey, Josh, if you're in the chat, Josh, so if you're in the, the game chat. plan. But, um, you know, uh, I think that I think by that the that's way, Josh, no disrespect. I think that Gio's a fantastic fighter. No, he's reasonable. Like, they're both reasonable. I, I'm sure he's not going to get in here and try to beat you up because you, you picked against him. It, it's a world class fight. You got to be yeah. reasonable about these things. This is Isaac Cruz is arguably one of the five best lightweights in the world. It's yeah. hard to think that guys are going to. I just think I saw what Gio's done to a lot of guys. I think there's more to his foot movement. And I think that Pitbull's just going to. I think that Gio's a guy that's very easy to underestimate. And I think he's a guy that outworks people. And I think he's going to surprise Pitbull. And I th he may do that. I just think that his chin is up in the air enough that when you fight a guy that throws as many looping overhand shots and hits as hard as Cruz, that that's, that's going to be a tough thing to overcome. And he hits hard. He hits hard as a motherfucker, bro. He hits hard. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's a wonderful fight. Like, I think this is, this is like a potential yeah, fight of the year. It's, it's a fight similar to me as Danny Garcia, Lucas Matisse, but yeah. people don't understand who Giovanni Cabrera is. So it's not getting that level of notoriety. Well, it's a main event fight for anybody that's watching, wondering if the undercard is worth it. There's uh, three main event fights. So yeah. we'll go to the third main event fight, which is Nonito Donaire versus Alexi Alexandrio Santiago for the WBC bantamweight title. That's a main event fight. Yep, it, it absolutely is. In fact, it's better than some of the main events we get sometimes. And I'm I'm excited to see what Nonito's got left. You know what I mean? He's a he's an absolute legend of the sport, a legend of longevity. You know what I mean? I mean, to me, and I I'm a big Nonito guy. Nonito, actually, I've got a photo of when I just started out doing boxing coverage, and Nonito has his arm around me, and I'm smiling, and Baz took the photo of me. And it was at the old undisputed gym. I should put that up on my wall. Um, I think Santiago is going to get him in this fight, man. It hurts me to say it, but he's fighting a guy with a high motor, a guy that should have beaten Jerwin and Canajas. And even though Nonito is one of my favorite fighters ever, it's hard to pick against a guy that's younger that throws a lot of punches when a guy's 40. Is I, I guess I don't know too much about the opponent. Is he like technically good? He is not technically good by my definition of technically good, but he had a very close fight with Gary Antonio Russell that many people could have thought could have gone his that. way. And then he had that. another fight where he beat Antonio Nueves on a Jake Paul card that nobody watched. So that didn't do him any favors. And then he had that fight back in the day with German and Canajas, which was extremely close. He probably should have been a world champion. The thing about him is he's an all gas, no breaks fighter. So I think there's two outcomes. He outworks Nonito or Nonito catches him. And this guy's staring up at the lights saying, when do I fight? Well, let's just talk about the fact that Nonito is going to have like a five inch height advantage and be a much naturally bigger guy. I mean, listen, bro, if Nonito's still the same guy from the first uh, in a way fight, which he may not be, but even if he's the same guy from like the Ubali fight, uh, he'll beat this guy, I think. 
And if he does, he breaks his own record. The Ubali fight set him up as the oldest WBC bantamweight champion. He breaks that record and becomes a 40-year-old bantamweight champion. For those out there, the adage is the young, the guys in the lower weights always get older faster. So the fact that he's winning world titles at 40 years old in divisions where people traditionally got old quick, pretty impressive stuff for the legend. And, and, you know, with him, like when I think back to 10 years ago, 12 years ago, even longer, like after the first Dark Cheney fight, I remember thinking that he was going to be like, like a Roy Jones, Mayweather, Pacquiao level guy. And he didn't wind up attaining that, right? Like he got to Reagan Diao, he got kind of schooled. And his career took another direction for a couple of years. Well, he had like three Hall of Fame careers, but then that's that's kind of what I'm getting to, right? Is it's just like the the since that stretch at featherweight where he was always the smaller guy and he was losing and you know runs he, into Walters and it was just all wrong. Yeah, and he's had this now this third act that he's now outlasting guys that have beaten him. And I've always said, like, when you outlast guys that beat you, that's how you know you're a real fucking legend. And and it's been amazing to watch um, Nonito's career. I, I agree with that. Um, the, the opener, I don't know a single thing about it. It's Sergio Garcia, our guy, not the golfer, but the boxer. He's taking on a Ronnie Shields fighter that I know nothing about. You can turn in. At some point next week, we'll talk to you about it, but we don't have the info now. Steve Nelson's going to be headlining the YouTube portion of the card, taking on Rowdy Montgomery. And Aston Police, Police say, is going to take on Jose Salas. I think that might be the, the, the movement guy that's interesting. But what do you think of this Steve Nelson-Rowdy Montgomery fight? That's a, that's a fun little fight. I think Rowdy Montgomery is a interesting guy with a really difficult style. He's we saw him on some of the zone card. I think it was on the uh, what was that the the Neri and Hovenasian card. He was on the undercard. Some one of those in February, and he was very impressive. Super awkward guy. Steve Nelson has not been active at all in the last couple of years, so I think this will be interesting to see. Um, yeah, that's a fun little matchup. Yeah, I mean that. So that full day of boxing, uh, that Friday, we got ourselves Sinise super bad. She's fighting. Uh, I think the world of Sinise super bad. It sucks for Sinise. She's in the Roy Jones spot where she's fighting in these divisions. Where outside of Yoka Valle, I don't know a single person in the divisions. Yoka doesn't seem to want to fight Sinise, and she basically dominates all these women and doesn't get any credit because nobody knows anything about the division. That is a tough spot to be in. And like, and I think we, we've said this before too, like the only way I can see her in a compelling fight is moving up in weight. And it doesn't seem like she's willing to do that. Well, I think the issue is if you look at her career, she took a lot of her early fights moving up in weight. So it's like now that she has the mean machine behind her, the means behind her, why move up in weight when you spent like a majority of your career on the come up um, fighting at weight classes you really didn't belong at? You know? Well, and the, and the answer to that would be that there's nothing, there's no compelling matchups. But I'm, I've told her this, like, I think we could literally go from 105 pounds to 118 pounds 
and there might be one or two names that we'd find being a compelling matchup. But we think that she's that good. I think we'd have to go all the way to a 122 pounder to start there's, to go. Okay, a couple at 118, but she, again, like the the part of what would make those interesting is that they are a little bit bigger than her naturally. I, even if there's a talent gap, like if she fought Ebony Bridges, that's a big marketable fight against a girl. That, that actually would be a good fight. And it would be entertaining, and I think that ultimately, Sydney, there would be a massive talent gap. But that's a bigger, stronger champion. You know what I'm saying? Like that, 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 that. Those are the kinds of matchups we'd have to see Sinisa in to get excited about the matchup and not just her as a fighter. Yeah, and I, I just—it's a shame, right? Because it's like she's at 105 and 108, and it's like she's probably the best fighter in both of those divisions. I don't know how much you followed Yoko Valle. But um, Yoka's a very, very good fighter, and we'd like to see that one. Um, yeah, I mean, but- Marlena is Marlena Sparza is really the only other compelling fighter in that weight neighborhood, and Sinisa dominated her. So the, I have no interest in a rematch. Yeah, and I mean that's why we have to go all the way like one eighteen to think. Okay, that's a good that's a good fight to make. Um, so it sucks, right? Because Sinisa is probably one of my favorite fighters in the sport of boxing. Yet, every time I tune in, I just tune in to watch her fight. And I I assume everyone she fights is a world champion and really good. But sadly, I know nothing about them. And it kind of historically makes her performances hard to, to contextualize. Yeah, I think the one where she beat the chick that beat Yoko Valle, that's got some decent you know context to it. But yeah. That's always going to be a problem she has with these opponents. Well, like, let's say she fights Yoko Valle. She more than likely skunks Yoko Valle 10 zip. Then people probably just say, well, Yoko Valle is just a really pretty girl who won some titles, but she wasn't ever like, I think that she really runs into the Roy Jones problem of being anyone that she beats too well. People just kind of criticize. But she's going to have to take those kinds of fights, too. And I don't, I'm not saying she's the one turning anything down, but those are going to be the, the kind of fights she has to take, you know, for her stardom to go up to that next level. And that's that's going to be Top Rank's project with her is going to be how do they figure out how to get her into those type of fights that the world wants to see? Because at some point, there has to be like a an interest in these fights. There has to be compelling... Let's run real quick because it's super late where you are. Let's just finish out this card so we can knock it out for those people that are super diehards for us. Andres Cortez, Xavier Martinez. This is like two guys that are the same person looking at each other. It's the Spider-Man meme of them pointing at each other. What do you think of this bout? It's a hell of a fight. I mean, it's they are very similar. I I think that um, Martinez, I, I think, probably has more experience fighting top level guys. So he has that edge, um, but that's a, I mean, that's a great matchup between two guys that look like they have a pretty, pretty bright future. I mean, to me, this pretty obviously creates a world champion or contender. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I like those type of fights. I think that it's definitely a fight that you should tune into. If you're a hardcore boxing fan, let's talk about our guy, Jack, uh, his boy, Abraham Nova, taking on a guy I've filmed before Jonathan Romero, Momo, um, what are you expecting from our guy Abraham Nova in his return? I'm expecting a win. I, I, I don't 
I know that I've seen Romero. I was looking at his resume. He isn't really, I, I think maybe I saw the Kiko Martinez fight, but there's not really any other. No, he's a big LA gym guy. So I know yeah. him because he was in the gyms in LA back in the day. And what was his reputation? Tough dude. Yeah. He was a tough dude. The, the, the book on him was he was a tough dude, great sparring partner. It was all about his discipline to the sport. It felt like it fluctuated in terms of his focus and his discipline. Could be remembering it wrong, but that's kind of what I remember. Yeah, I mean, and listen, it, he's got a hell of a record, so it's a it's a good look for Nova if he gets that win. It's a good matchup. I mean, it's a good developmental fight. Here's one that you're going to like. Rohan Polanco versus Caesar Francis. Oh, buddy. I mean, that I, I, I'm excited to see Caesar back in the ring. Yeah, but Caesar's on the B side. So it's like Caesar's taking on a top rank house fighter who just recently got signed. I think that's a real fight right there. It is a real fight. There's your opportunity to erase a, a, a robbery defeat. That was such a bad robbery. Like he really won that fight. And then, like, that was so stupid. We spent a lot of time talking about bad scorecards, Lukey. Okay. So the last one that stands out to me besides. Plug in my guy, Charlie Sheehy. I love this fight, bro. Carlos Balderos, Nahir Wu Albright. I think this is a fantastic fight. Wu Albright, he's a Philly guy. He resurrected his career. Um, to me, this is a really, really interesting fight. I think if you're a hardcore tune in to Luki and Dakota, go super nerdy about boxing. This should be on your list with Inouye and Fulton. Um, you have to give Balderos the edge based on his experience as an amateur, this, that, and a third. But Nahir Wubar Albright is one bad boy. He is a good, good fighter. Don't know anything about him. My apologies well, to all of them. Well, you got to tune into that. Before we get you out of here, what are your thoughts on the stud Charlie Sheehy? Charlie's great, man. I mean, he really, he, he kind of does it all. And I think it's only a matter of time before people start catching on. I think the problem is he's so he, people don't watch these undercards like we saw it today. So until he gets a little higher on these cards, he's just going to be a guy who just has to be a professional. He has to clock in, clock out. He just has to fight professionally. Yeah. And he's, and he will have to kind of continue to be dominant, but he does that every time I've seen him. So fighting tough competition too, bro. Yep. He's not fighting. He's not saying, hey, man, I need the easiest guys. Dakota, what do you got going this week? I don't got much going this week, Lukey, but uh, always a pleasure being on with you, brother, and uh, pretty crazy week of boxing we got coming. Yeah, I'm going to definitely be texting with you a lot. Everybody in the chat, hope you enjoyed it, and we are done.